everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. So sociologists have noticed an interesting shift that has taken place in the last 10 years. Uh, In the last decade, the number of people who are in their 20s, 20 to 30 years old, who are committed to a relationship, in a committed relationship, has declined by 12%. In just 10 years, the number of people who are in their 20s who are in a committed relationship has declined by 12%. Now, I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm here to note something today. When it comes to commitment, when it comes to commitment to a, a particular work, place or opportunity, when it comes to commitment to to church, when it comes to a commitment to to community, I wonder, and it's it's not just about a particular age demographic, overall, when you look over the decades at a rising fear of committing to any one thing. Today, we're finishing this series called Why Am I So Afraid, where we're, we're looking at the biblical concept of how the power of God's love is the only thing that can free us from fear. And today, we're going to talk about the fear of commitment. The fear of commitment, and why is this important? Well, the reason this is important, I, I wanna give you just three ideas to get started today, is first of all, because my commitments reveal my values. What I am committed to shows what I really value. For example, if I say that I'm committed to my family, but I never devote any time to my family, then it's not true. If I say that I'm committed to God and my, my relationship with God, but I, I never devote time in my, in my daily schedule to an investment to, to develop that relationship with God, then then, then I might say it, but my actual priorities reveal that it's, it's not true. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, every day we have to make choices. We have to make choices about uh, what we're going to do and where we're going to go and what we're going to spend our money on and what we're going to do with our time. Every day we have to pick based on our priorities, what we really value. And here's why that matters, because number two, my commitments shape who I become. If I am committed to a relationship with a person who is reckless and destructive, that commitment will at times obviously lead me into some situations that are reckless and destructive. We all have people in our lives who make really, really bad choices, and we're committed to them, and so our commitment to them kind of like puts us in a mess sometimes, right? That's not necessarily our fault, but that's part of commitment. If if I'm committed to my family, then that's going to help shape me to be more of a faithful husband and father. 
If, if, if I'm committed to success and money at all costs, then I'm willing to, to compromise my integrity maybe occasionally, to lie and cheat just a little bit in order to accomplish my goals. If, if I'm committed to being popular so that everybody likes me all the time, then I'm willing to forsake biblical values in order to get people to like me. And so what that means is, ultimately, number three, my commitments determine my destiny. Every choice that we make every day, even the little decisions, add up to to really shape the trajectory of our lives and determine where we're going to end up at the end of our life and even after in the afterlife. And that's why we need to choose our commitments carefully. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 37. We'll go ahead and put it on the screen right now. Let's read this out loud together in unison. Let's, let's every, are you ready? I, I want to make sure we can hear you. Okay, here we go. Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now I want you to notice that word exchange. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul or to get the whole world, Jesus says. What, what is an exchange? Well, that's kind of like a trade, right? You trade for something. An exchange means I give something in order to get something back. Do you know the average Canadian lives 29,000 days? Did you know that? If, if, if you're a Canadian here today, the average Canadian lives 29,000 days. And Jesus says every single one of those days, you are exchanging your soul for something. And, and that you can get the world or you can get God, but you can't always get both. And so the commitments that we make reveal our values, they shape our character, they determine our destiny. But why do we fear commitment? Well, I, I think there are a couple of questions that we tend to ask. And one of the questions is, what if I get hurt again? I wonder how many of you here today, you don't have to raise your hand, but if, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, or those of you who are online, if I were to ask you to let everybody know, I bet that just about every single person here today, in fact, let me back that up, yes, absolutely every person here today would say that at some point you have been hurt in your life, right? Maybe, maybe it was a bad marriage, and you say, man, I, I don't ever want to do that again. Maybe it was in church, a, a, a bad church experience. Maybe it was a, a bad experience with business or a former friend, and we say, man, I don't want to get hurt like that again. And in just a little bit, we're going to talk about why this, this, this fear of commitment, why it can be so dangerous, why it's a problem. But let me just highlight First of all, it's because when we let pain from our past 
prevent us from making positive commitments in our present, it robs us of the joy God wants for our lives. You see, we love freedom in our world today, but a life, listen, a life free of commitment is also a life free of joy. And we'll talk about why in just a minute. But number two, what if something better comes along? <laughs> it's really hard to commit to something over here when I'm afraid that over there something might, might come along that's, that's even better. We have a saying in Canada and the United States, maybe it's in other parts of the world too, I don't know. But see if you can complete this phrase. We say, the grass is always, yeah, the grass is always greener where? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Wrong. The grass is not greener on this side of the fence or that side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. Oh, come on now. The grass is greener where you water it and make an investment. Listen, we think, we think well, you know, maybe I, I'll leave this job here to go to that job over there because then I'll be happy. I'm going to leave this relationship here to go to that relationship over there because then I'll be happy. I'm going to leave this church here to go to that church over there because then everything will be so much better. And yet we find out wherever we go when we switch from this thing to the, the next thing, hoping the next thing will be better. Many times what we find is the same old problems follow us everywhere we go because listen, the grass is greener where you make a commitment to go deep and make an investment in your life to actually make things better. Ooh. Okay. That, uh, that was sounded a little harsh. Let me, let me be sweeter on the next one. We say, what if I lose my independence? We're, we're, we're a little more of a social culture, I think, here in Canada than our neighbors to the south. Uh, I lived in the States for a good, good, long, long part of my life. And, uh, and the, the entire United States Declaration of, is built upon the Declaration of what? The Declaration of Independence. That we in Western culture so value our independence. Listen to what George writes. He says, until about a month ago, I was what some women call a Peter Pan. One of those men who contemplate but never decide, who float around instead of committing. I've always thought of women as mysterious, desirable, and a more than a little scary. <laughs> I never could do without women, but I thought, why bring one home forever? George says he would date and even live with a girl, but never make a commitment. He said, I had friends who married. In fact, I began to have friends who divorced and remarried. And meanwhile, I was in limbo, stuck in neutral. Peter Pan in perpetuity. And the problem was, I didn't know why. And he went on to talk about how he had a seven-year relationship with one lady and lived with another lady for 10 years, but they both left him because he would not get married. And George writes... He says, I've spent the last month in hell. My hope is that this crucible will reduce Peter Pan to ash, and maybe, just maybe, it will transform me into the most impossible of things, an adult. Suddenly, I see how stunted a place I've spent my years in independence. I'm being shown with the searing force of revelation 
that commitment is the point of life. Not, not that you have to be married. Jesus was never married. Paul was never married. In fact, the Bible says that there is a sacredness of singleness. Listen, we're not saying that you need to be married. It is better to be single than to rush into marriage with the wrong person. Can I get an amen? Okay? There is a sacredness of singleness that the Bible values that many times the church has not. But we have also then thought that that means that there is a sacredness to independence, and that has never been the case. He says, I've spent my life trying to avoid messy mistakes by avoiding commitments only to become a messy mistake myself. I've risked little with women and given them even less, and I got my wish. As I type this, I realize that my biosphere, the, the bubbling self-contained unit I thought would nurture me, is in fact an airless exhibit. And listen to what he said at the end. He said, I have been forced to realize that commitment is the point of life. L listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Isn't that true? The Bible is filled with so much wisdom. The Bible says, if you are waiting for perfect weather in order to make an investment, you never plant and you never reap a harvest. And so this is question number four. What if things aren't perfect. You know, we're looking for the perfect job, the, the perfect opportunity, the perfect person, the perfect church, the, the perfect thing that never comes along because we live in an imperfect world. And here's what we discover, this fact. When your expectation is perfection, you will always end up with an empty plate. This is basically what Rick Warren says when he writes, then you get to the end of the buffet line of life and you realize that there was this wonderful smorgasbord of delights, but because you never picked anything of substance to commit to, you may end up at the end of your life with an empty plate. And so how do we overcome this, this fear that holds us back? Well, obviously, number one, is we have to seek God's wisdom in our choices. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should do what? You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so remember, what we commit to reveals our values, it, it shapes our character, it, it determines our destiny. And if that's true, we need to be careful about the commitments that we make, right? This isn't about just running around and committing to anything and everything. That's, that's just as dangerous. That's why we need to seek God's wisdom in making our commitments. Listen to what Proverbs 20 verse 25 says. It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. You see, here's what that means. It is always easier to get into something than it is to get out of it. Am I right? How many of you would say it is easier to get into debt than it is to get out of it, right? Just sign right here on the dotted line, just sign for the next 30 years. <laughs> it takes 
Five seconds to do and 30 years to pay off. It's easier to get into a relationship than to what? To get out of it. Come on, can I hear an amen? It, it is easier to fill up your schedule than it is to fulfill your schedule. And so we need to be careful about making the right commitments. That's why we need to seek God's wisdom. And listen, that's why we come together every week on Sundays, online and in person in order to study God's word. That's why we get together with our small groups to study God's word and pray together. Why? In order to seek God's God's wisdom for our decisions. And part of that is number two, we need to do a cost-benefit analysis. You know what that is, right? A cost-benefit analysis is where you sit down and you count the cost, because every commitment costs you something, and then you determine if the benefits outweigh the cost. And that's what Jesus was saying when we read earlier in, in Mark 8, 34. Remember when Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must count the cost, right? He said, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus said, you need to do a cost-benefit analysis and do what? He said, no, to follow me, to be my disciple means you have to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means that it's no longer about what I want in my life anymore. And take up their cross. What does it mean to take up the cross of Jesus? That doesn't sound like very much fun. No, no. The cross of Jesus can be painful sometimes. And then you remember we read in the next verses where it said there's an exchange for our souls. What good is it for a person, Jesus said in the next few verses, to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And so, in other words, Jesus is saying that we also have to give up some of the things of the world, not be like everybody else in the world. You see, the cost is high to follow Jesus. And the cost-benefit analysis is you have to ask, do the benefits outweigh the cost? And I don't know about you, I'm assuming most of you or many of you, that's the reason why you're with us today is because in my life, I've determined that, oh yes, the answer is yes. Because what are the benefits? The benefits are that, that, that I, I find forgiveness from my sin and freedom from the chains of my past. I find purpose and, and meaning and significance in my life. I get a secured place in eternity in heaven. I receive the power of God to overcome my hurts, habits, and hangups. I don't know about you, but I have determined that the benefits of following Christ far outweigh the cost. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's our testimony. And so number three, God can empower us to keep our commitments. Psalm 37 verse five says, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. Could we read that out loud together? We have it on the screen. Everybody help me out. Let's read it together. Psalm 37 says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Now, all of a sudden, it's no longer about what I can do. It's not about my strength and power. It's about what God can do through me when I live a life 
totally devoted to him. Philippians chapter two, verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Second Timothy 1 12, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. And my guess is, listen, in a crowd this size, there are probably some of us here today who maybe are sitting with an empty plate in our life because we were afraid to make a commitment. Maybe it was afraid to make a commitment to Jesus. You've delayed that decision for so many years in your life. Maybe, maybe it was fear about getting baptized, which is the public declaration of our faith. Maybe it's time to get baptized. Maybe it's your commitment to your family and you look at, at how you've been ordering your life and your priorities and you realize that you have not given your family what it deserves. Maybe it's, maybe it's a commitment to be more than just an attender, but to, to actually plug into a church somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere where God leads you and, and, and to do more than just sit in the kingdom, but to serve in the kingdom. Maybe this is the day to finally say, Jesus, we are yours. In 1945, in Munich, Germany, uh, in the largest stadium in the world at that time, the Munich Stadium, 100,000 young men crammed into that stadium, all wearing the same brown uniforms, and they saluted the man at the platform named Adolf Hitler, and they declared, Hitler, we are yours. And you know what? That committed minority, that committed minority took over Germany and they almost took over the world. It is scary what a committed minority can do. Not long thereafter, Vladimir Lenin in the same, in that same time frame in, in history, Lenin had, had, had started the Russian revolution and he said, if you will give me just a hundred committed men, just a hundred committed, I can change the world. Some years after that, a group of young Chinese people took a little red book called The Sayings of Chairman Mao. And they began to devote themselves to the, to the teachings of that book. And they said, Mao, we are yours. And they took over the largest country in the world. What's my point? My point is, it is crazy what a committed minority can do. You see, people say there is power in numbers. No, 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 no. Listen, there is power in passion. People think God needs a moral majority. No, God doesn't need a moral majority. He just needs a committed minority who will bow down on their knees and get before God and say, finally, we're stopping playing around this, this whole lukewarm Christian thing. It is time to say, Jesus, we are yours. And listen, listen, what an amazing difference we could make in this world 
We're not talking about a communist revolution. Don't misunderstand me. We're not even talking about a democratic revolution. What we're talking about is imagine what could happen in this world if we started a Jesus love revolution. What a difference it could make. Listen, in, in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, God says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are what? Are fully committed to him. Fully committed to him. Listen, it's not about how much talent you have. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how good looking you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many followers you have on social media. Those are the things that the world is concerned about. But what Jesus is looking for is just humble, simple people like you and me who will fully commit ourselves to the cause of Christ. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, if Christianity is untrue, then it is unimportant. If Christianity is untrue, then it's unimportant. However, if Christianity is true, then it is of utmost importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. So I just want to ask you today, are you in or are you out? See, see, there, there is no such thing as a casual Christian. That's kind of like saying you're partly pregnant. Are you pregnant? Well, kind of, a little bit. You either are or you aren't. That's why Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And listen, I'm not here to tell you what that means for your life. It's between you and God. Most of it is already laid out here in his word. There might be some specific things that God is speaking to you about today. And we're going to take some time to just saturate in that and listen to what God has to say to us. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And if you're at home right now, wherever you are online, this is the time to go ahead, if you have not already, and get your, your cup. Uh, get something from your kitchen, get a cup and something to drink and some bread or a cracker. And those of you here in the room, if you want to go ahead and, and get this little packet that you received when you came in. Now listen, I know it's possible some of you are stealthy. You maybe slipped by and they didn't see you and you didn't get one when you came in. If that's the case, if you just right now, we have ushers in the back who are waiting, who have some. If there's anybody here who for some reason you happen to miss getting one of these coming in on the floor or up in the balcony, go ahead and raise your hand up high and hold it up as they're coming down the aisle. Yep, they're giving the t right now. Excellent. And so you go ahead and just hold on to that. And we're going to come back together in just a little bit. And we're going to join together in the celebration of communion. But first, as we're getting ready, let's prepare our hearts and sing these words together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, 
we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.